Not content with your content? You've come to the right place. The Discontent Show with Joe Kuzma. Every brand starts with a story. Here's how you can grow your business by sharing it. Now with today's topic, the host of The Discontent Show, Joe Kuzma. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Discontent Show. My name is Joe Kuzma, and I'm here today to, well, not only give you some tips and tricks as usual with different areas of your content marketing. You know the five pillars already if you've been an existing listener to the program. If you're new, well, welcome, and thanks for joining me. And I'm going to share those five pillars with you, of course, blogging, podcasting, social media, emails, and, of course, e-books if you happen to do some of that, uh, maybe it's a whitelist offering. Usually, we don't talk too much about the ebook thing here, as it is. It can be time consuming, but today I want to not only talk about some tips and tricks, but I want to give you my pet peeves, and that's pet peeves for things that are on a website, that's pet peeves for anything that might be in a blog you're writing, or anywhere else where you may be writing text on the web. Some of it may not be possible if you're doing this on, let's say, Facebook or Twitter, because they won't allow you to do things like change fonts and colors, but there we go. Some of my pet peeves right now. Number one is, is you know, maybe you have a content management system. You're doing something like a WordPress website, some type of website builder, even if it's that horrific free Wix website builder that lets you just throw all kinds of just nasty and just things that don't look very good into a design. I understand, you know, free is free, but sometimes you get what you pay for with that type of stuff. A lot of people always think, hey, you know what, Joe, you're you're a social media manager, you're a web developer, you're an expert in these fields, and you're just saying that because you like to get paid well. You get paid well when you do things well, and when you work with some of these website builders, try and stay away from some of these pet peeves. Take it as a tip or maybe other types of tips because when you throw some stuff just in there, it looks like 10 pounds of you-know-what in a five-pound bag. And that's exactly what kind of happens when you're dealing with stuff such as uh, there's colors that get changed on your website that aren't consistent with colors of your brand. If you're using uh, you know black and red as your main theme colors, that's your logo, that's your branding, then uh, you don't want to be using pink or blue blue or purple or even like yellow. If you have a different kind of accent color that goes along with that, that's quite all right. Maybe you have like teal and green and then you're using like a black, a white, a gray, something like that. But when you pull out the Crayola box and you start dealing with changing colors, it's... Uh, yeah, not necessarily a good thing there, and it can look really messy. It makes you look unprofessional. I mean, if you handed somebody a business card and it looked like, you know, my five-year-old daughter took her colored pencil case to it, I don't know. I mean, it would be good, I guess, if you run a preschool, but otherwise it might not fit, you know, a professional business, uh, what you're trying to convey. And sometimes you only have one chance to make that first impression. So that perception could become a reality. It's the same thing when you go in and you start using a bunch of crazy fonts. There's one thing you got to know, especially when you're dealing with websites, you're dealing with blogs, not all fonts are available on all systems. There are folks out there who have a Mac instead of a PC. There are folks who are 
using Android phones instead of an iPhone. So just be careful if you try and pull something out there. Uh, one of the worst that I see out there and I make fun of a lot of times with my friends who are designers is Comic Sans because it's just it's just one of the most more overused and silly looking fonts that is definitely not professional looking. It can be fun, but at the same time, it can be unreadable. So stay away from bad fonts. Stay away from being too designy with fonts. If you're using something like with titles and headers that have a very specific font, uh, you know, you're breaking up subsections with titles. That's one thing. Uh, but you don't want to be using any type of font that's difficult to read as your main paragraph or body within like a blog or a website. So keep that in mind. Underlined text, one of my biggest pet peeves in the entire world. It does not belong anywhere on the World Wide Web because when you see something that's underlined, you're going to think you could click on it and or tap on it in the case of using a smartphone. And when you're dealing with some folks who are maybe less savvy computer or internet users, you're going to drive them insane thinking that your website's broken because you went and overused an underlined button. And by any means, by any means, <laughs> try and stay away from also using bold and italics and underline and every other type of special uh, font style that might be out there. One or the other might be appropriate depending on the case, but you don't want your entire, well, we'll put it this way. If you were to print out what you just wrote on your website as you wrote as a blog, and you hold it maybe about an arm's length away and depending on your eyesight now even I have 2020 but just try and let it kind of blur and if it looks like a big blotchy black dot you might want to change some things up a little bit but all, all, all depending on of course how great your eyesight is as well if you're using glasses etc etc that's not a knock on anybody like that but it's just the honest truth because you know sometimes it's going to look that way anyways I know if I handed it to my mother she would probably look at it and, and then have to hold it a little closer. So just keep that in mind that this is just a general rule of thumb that you want some you want some air, you want some white space, you want to make things easy to read. You don't want to make it too difficult for someone to read. And when you go crazy on bold and italics, you go crazy also on the header styles because – there's different heading styles, heading one, heading two, heading three, all the way down to heading six. And those are more or less to give some type of hierarchy or some type of, um, you know, it's it's basically kind of like, I guess I want to call it like a tree or a pyramid where you go from top to bottom and of importance. And that's for SEO, not only for breaking up your writing, breaking up your articles, breaking up things on your website by priority and making them easy to read. When you do these type of things, you're telling like a search engine such as Google that these are important words as well. Now, if everything is important, it's kind of like the same thing as typing in caps which is another pet peeve of mine. We don't need things necessarily in caps, especially when you have bold and italics and all of these other things that you can use. But if you make everything a heading, or in the case of heading one, it should always be the main title on your page. You really don't need other heading ones. Uh, you're trying to kind of build this thing out and make sure that there's like a priority. So this is the top priority. And then maybe you have two heading twos because you have subheadings. And then below, underneath a heading two, you may have a few paragraphs you need to break up with a heading three. And when you start doing some of this too, depending on if you have a self-built website, if you have something that's a, a, a theme or a website builder or something that you purchased, or maybe you had someone like myself build, you also got to be careful when you stack these things one on top of another because depending on the font sizes, the colors, whether they're bold or, or a different font, 
it might start to look a little messy too. And there's absolutely no harm with just, uh, you know, interchanging heading two or heading three, because obviously the font size gets smaller as you use the headings. So if you have to use heading three, it's not going to be the end of the world. Google's not going to look at that and say, well, that's not as important as a heading two. We're going to, we're just going to totally ignore that with our, you know, search engine and our search results. No, that's, you know, that's just ridiculous. So uh, if you have something that's a little longer and you're trying to fit it kind of the one, maybe a second line if it breaks on a different spot. By breaking, I mean you're on a responsive website. So when you view it on a desktop computer, maybe it's on one line. But when you're looking on a mobile phone, like an iPad, a tablet, something of that nature, it may break to two lines instead. And you may not want that one word kind of just hanging off. If you have to, change it from a heading two or heading three and try and use the styles that are already built into your theme or your website. If you start to mess with different font sizes. Um, what ends up happening is, is when you go to the next line and you start typing some more, it has an impact on everything that's there. May also have an impact if you take that information and copy paste it somewhere else, or in the worst case scenario, as I've mentioned before on some previous episodes with some tips and tricks, if you end up writing on like a Google, um, I'm trying to think what Google Docs or Microsoft Word, sometimes when you copy paste from there, you, you have to do it like a very plain paste. Or you have to do it in a text view because it's going to carry some goofy styles over that have nothing to do with your website and then things look really off. So be careful with all of that. This one is one I haven't seen for a while, but when I do see it, I say 1998 called and they want their website back. It's when you have scrolling and blinking text, which almost never works. Blinking text just... It just irritates me. It hurts my eyes to look at, but scrolling, depending on how fast or slow, it might actually impact you as far as accessibility guidelines with your website. Uh, if it, that has to deal with anybody who's maybe disabled and they need to be able to use different devices or methods in order to obtain information from your website, if it's scrolling and they can't access that, you may actually be violating some guidelines. It could get you in trouble in different places. It all depends. I'm not a legal authority, so that's something to look up if you're interested in that but I say just avoid it altogether there's no need to have like a ticker or things scrolling anymore uh, you know even when you're watching TV you think about like the news sites that have the things gone across the bottom you don't need that on a website and all it does is is it kind of irritates people who might be there and looking at the information and then all of a sudden it's gone and they don't know how to get back to that. And that could be somebody that doesn't even have any type of disability or using anything. It'd just be a, a normal average Joe like myself. So try to avoid that where possible. Uh, two of the big things I've always mentioned, I had a show uh, that was almost entirely about this type of thing a few months ago maybe. Phone numbers and addresses. If you don't have a phone number on your website you got to get it on there. Even if it's on a contact page, if it's in a footer, one of the most looked for, sought after pieces of information, believe it or not, some people just want to pick up the phone and not text you. They want to call you. They want to speak to a human, especially if you're a small business that's almost expected versus, you know, these big giant corporations. So make sure you have a phone number on your site. And if you have that phone number there, some of these mobile smartphone web browsers are going to automatically detect that and allow people to tap on it and make a phone call very easily. If, if it's uh, also there, 
Google will find it. So it'll be in their search results when you're on Google Maps and things of that nature. And that also makes, it just makes it easier for everyone to contact you, maybe even get a sale or a new client. You never know. And for physical mailing addresses, for those of you who have them, uh, this also helps you get found on Google Maps. It helps people find directions and things of that nature. So it helps you get found. These are things that that are non-negotiable. They should already be on your website. If you have a Facebook page, they should be on there too. If you have Twitter or Facebook and you have a website, you have to have your website on those social profiles too. So people know that you have a website and they could find more information there when they visit your main profile. So these things all go full circle because now if I'm on Twitter, I see a tweet from, you know, we'll just say that we'll use the same thing. The average Joe, I see a tweet from a guy named average Joe. I click on him. It's average Joe, whatever.com. If it's me, it's Joe underscore Kuzma. You'll see it says Joe Kuzma.com. You go there, you go to my website and there's more information there. You could even find uh, even find one of my other things here is try not to put your email address, at least not hyperlinked on the web. If you put that email address there on your website, you're just inviting spam bots to just crush you with junk mail. And in a lot of cases, some people don't have their personal, they may have a business phone and they don't have like a personal email set up on their phone. They may not have email set up on their device whatsoever, even on computers. Even these days, people may just use webmail like a Yahoo or a Gmail or Hotmail or something of that nature. And when they click on that link, it's going to, it's going to bring the default program up. If I'm on an iPhone, it's going to bring up Apple Mail. If I'm on Windows 10, it's going to bring up either Outlook or Windows Mail. And if those programs aren't set up, uh, some less tech-savvy users are going to be lost. They're not going to understand how they can get to you. Some people aren't familiar with just copying and pasting your email address. So uh, you could do the best of both worlds here instead of you know challenging people who may be not as tech-savvy as well as avoiding some uh, spam and junk mail in your inbox. What you should do is have a form on your website that allows people to contact you. You know what it is. You fill out a name, you fill out a subject, and boom, you shoot it on through. And if you so happen to have um, some type of service or anything that's built in, depending on what you're using to build this or put this into your website, there should also be some type of spam protection as well. There's some good ones out there depending on what you're using. Uh, with WordPress, there's like Honeypot type of protection plugins, and, and they're all specific depending on what you're using if you're using plugins and things of that nature. So these are things to keep in mind. It also, it's a lot easier for someone to fill out one of those forms. They may even have a thing that automatically fills out the form uh, with everything so they don't have to like type out every single little detail. I know that many of the phones and mobile devices and tablets have that also built into it so you could autofill and then you just hit the submit button and everybody's happy. And you know what else too? Uh, there's also a better chance that that email actually gets back to you because it's being sent and filtered through your own website as opposed to somebody just sending you a random email that could be caught into your spam or junk mail. So uh, that, that just helps you when it comes to your customer service and, you know, even gaining uh, more of an audience and gaining interaction and engagement with those people out there that are paying attention to all the man various many reasons that you're doing this content marketing, which, you know, if you're doing it for fun, uh, this, build this builds some good 
what do you want to say, good faith with people, builds rapport, you get to talk to them. And if you happen to have a business or you're selling a product or service, that's good customer service as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope these tips and tricks definitely help you out. I know they're my pet peeves, but they're also the kind of things that, you know, you get your hand caught in a cookie jar and you get smacked. Don't do that. So I'm saying don't do these various things. Until next time, my name is Joe Kuzma and I encourage all of our listeners out there to not only subscribe, but to be safe, be good, and I'll catch you later. Hi folks, this is Joe Kuzma. (laughs) No, don't worry, you're not hearing things twice. I'm just here to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to today's show and being a follower and subscriber of the Discontent Podcast. And I want to remind you that if you're interested in more information about all the various things it is that I do, whether it be about this show, content marketing, or you want to ask a question, you may visit me at joekuzma.com. That's J-O-E-K-U-Z-M-A.com. Or you can follow me as well on Facebook. Make sure you get the page and not the personal profile. Sorry, it's only for friends and family. Also on Twitter at Joe underscore Kuzma, LinkedIn or Instagram. Also, don't forget, if you haven't already, subscribe, whether that be on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast provider, so you don't miss out on any of the great episodes that we have. Once again, thank you again for your support, and I look forward, as always, to speaking and interacting with each of you again soon.